0: Awesome, if you got your Bible, would you meet me in John chapter 6? John 6. And I want to bring you a message this morning called Lessons with Lunch and Leftovers. Lessons with Lunch and Leftovers. Or if you'd like to take notes and you want a subtitle for this message, the subtitle would be The Provision of God Reveals the Person of God. The Provision of God reveals the person of God. You know, John chapter 6 is a very familiar passage if you know your Bible pretty well, so you might already know where I'm going today. But John 6 tells us the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, spoiler alert, if you don't know this story, Jesus takes two fish and five loaves, a little boy's lunch, and he feeds 5,000 men, not including the women and children who were there that day. So, sorry to spoil that for you. You might be wondering, why do we need to do the rest of the message now? You just told us what happens. Well, actually, it's the minutiae, the details that I want to jump into here today from John's account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's what's important to me today, and I want to look at this with a fresh set of eyes. As a pastor, it's sometimes hard to preach from the passages that we know so well. But a few days ago, I was reading through this, and I felt like God just kind of gave me a different perspective. So I want to invite you to do that this morning and look at this passage of Scripture with a fresh set of eyes, if you will. Let's read this morning from John 6, starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat. Verse 6, but this he said to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. So Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for all of these people, and that every one of them would even have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has 5 barley loaves and 2 small fish. But what is that what is that to so many people? Then Jesus said, verse 10, "...make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, "'Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost.'" Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Finally, verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. This passage of scripture stood out to me the other day because as soon as I started reading it, I knew the end of the story. I knew how this was going to go. But when I got to verse 2, I saw something and it just kind of caught me in a new way that I hadn't really felt it before. I want to draw your attention one more time to verse 2 of John 6. It says, then a great multitude followed Jesus. Why? Because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Upon reading that passage again, It occurred to me that there were people in the multitude who were following Jesus to see the things that he might do for someone else. And there were those who were diseased, those who were the infirmed among them who had a sickness in their body. And Jesus saw the sickness and so did the multitude. And to those people in the multitude, it was probably clear that if they were sick, they were in need of healing. And so many in the multitude saw from a distance the things that Jesus was doing for them. But in the process of seeing what Jesus did for them, it's entirely possible that they missed out on the reality that Jesus also wanted to do something for them. And I think it's so possible that we can walk through life thinking that God wants to do things in other people's lives, overlooking the reality that he wants to do things in our lives as well. I don't know what your life is like. Maybe you've had an encounter like this before where you saw something good that was happening. You saw God doing something good in someone else's life. Maybe you saw somebody else having a great idea where they could help somebody or reach out to somebody and lend a helping hand and you said, wow, what a great idea, what a cool idea, but that's for you to do, it's not for me. I mean, I love it that you wanna do that and I think that that's a great idea, but I'm not so sure I wanna be a part of that myself. I think it's totally possible that that could have happened among the multitude who were watching. They look and see other people's needs, but don't see the need that's in their heart as well. Why? Because all of us have the same sinful fallen condition, and while we might see others who their need is visible, we all have one common need, and that we are all in need of a Savior from our sins. So it's possible we can look from a distance and say, well, that's good for you, but I don't know about me. A few weeks ago, I had something like this happen in my own life, and I just want to share this story with you. You guys are our church family, so it's kind of opened my heart for a moment. Easter Sunday was an awesome day this year. Almost a month ago, we celebrated the, the resurrection of Christ, and I had the opportunity to preach all three services on Easter, and it was a thrill. It was amazing. And then Monday rolled around, and I had taken that day off to spend some time with my family and just rest, catch my breath a little bit. And then Tuesday morning, I woke up early to have my morning coffee, and I was getting ready for the week. I was reflecting a little bit on Easter Sunday, and one of the things I did was I looked back at our overall attendance numbers from Easter Sunday that day, and I wanted to know how many kids were in the house that day, because we have such a great opportunity to minister to our children when they come to Bridge Kids on Sunday, let alone ministering to all of our students at Bridge Youth. But that day, I saw the number of students who were in Bridge Kids that day, and then I looked, and you know, we were unable to measure how many High school and junior hires we had in service with us, so we didn't have a full count. But it made me wonder, what is the percentage of our entire population that is children? Or in other words, children make up what percentage of the entire U.S. population? I was wondering about that. So I took out my phone and I started Googling that figure. How many kids make up, you know, what percentage do they make up of our population? And I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I looked at that number, and the number that I saw was 20%. Kids right now in the United States of America make up 20% of the population. But what really caught my eye was, I dug a little bit further and I saw these long flow charts and I recognized that over the last 100 years, the population of children in our country is the lowest it's, it's been in 100 years. And I thought, wow. And I started reading about the reasons why the population of kids is lower and without going into great detail or getting down a negative path, a lot of the reasons aren't very good. And I sat there and this thought goes through my mind, man, good people need to be having more kids. So I set my coffee in the sink, I go upstairs, I jump in the shower, and I'm just thinking about the day, everything that's coming up, and I get out of the shower, and not trying to paint too graphic of a picture here, but I get out literally with a towel around my waist, walk into the bedroom to get dressed, and my wife walks into the bedroom with these big tears just coming down her face, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Did did something happen? Did you get, you know, that tragic phone call or something like that? Like, what's happened? And she says, we're going to have another baby. Now listen, this is exciting right now. (laughs) But that day... Kind of felt like we got hit by a train. Because let's just say, we were not expecting that. And you know, you got to go back and deal with all those things that come along with it. When you start to tell just a few people, you get the jokes of, wow, you know what causes that, right? <laughs> yeah, run willing to give it up.
1: <laughs>
0: you guys must really love kids. I just really love my wife, but... To be serious, that was our announcement, you guys are our church family, but listen, don't want to make this about us, this actually fits perfectly in with the message today, because suddenly I had that thought of, good people need to be having more kids. <laughs> Sounds great, like, like that's a great idea. You good people go have more kids, but me? Oh, no, 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 no. Us, we're good, we're straight, we're fine, I'm too old to have any more kids, or so I thought. And I think that there are times in our life where we see something from a distance, maybe even something that God is doing in other people's lives, and we say, wow, that's great, that's cool, that's amazing for them. Not so much for me. Maybe you're here today, and when you come to church, you're thinking, I was invited to be here today because my friend has had an encounter with God, and that's good for them, that's great for them, but me, not so much. Or... Maybe you're here today and you've been walking with God for a long time, and when you think about God doing things in your life, everything that you can think of is in the rearview mirror, and you think that your best days are all behind you. I want to say to every single person in the house, if there is breath in your lungs and you are living and breathing on planet earth, God still has new things that he wants to do in your life. John 6 and the feeding of the 5,000 is a a picture of God's miraculous provision, but I want to tell you one more time that God's provision is there to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to know you. He doesn't want to just provide. He wants to walk with you and provide for you every single day of your life. And so this picture of a multitude of onlookers, Jesus draws them in by giving them something that we can all relate to. They say that the quickest way to a man's heart is through his belly, So look at what Jesus does to draw in the multitude and let them know that he's got something for them too. I want to give you three lessons today if I can. Lessons from lunch and leftovers. Let's look again at verse 6. It says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, Where shall we buy bread that these people may eat? If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first lesson from lunch and leftovers. Number one, When following Jesus presents a problem, he will surely produce a solution. When following Jesus presents a problem, he will surely produce a solution. Now, let's talk about John's account here because maybe you don't know this, but the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that Jesus performed that's recorded in all four Gospels. It was so important to the heart of God that he wanted to make sure it was recorded all four times in all four of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all paint a very similar picture of this story, but John's is totally different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell a story that goes something like this. Jesus was preaching near the Sea of Galilee. A great multitude came to Jesus, and the day went on and on, and Jesus preached on and on, and pretty soon the disciples came to Jesus, and they presented Jesus with the problem. They said, Jesus, the people have been here all day. You've been preaching all day Pretty soon, they're going to get hungry. They, don't, they didn't bring any food with them. There's nowhere around here for them to buy food. We need to send them off so that they can go and eat and then go home. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story like that, where the, the disciples present Jesus with a problem. But John's account is totally different. It says that Philip is sitting there, and Jesus, seeing the multitude coming, looks at Philip and says, Where are we going to get bread to feed all of these people? In other words, rather than the disciples presenting Jesus with the problem, Jesus presents the disciples with a problem. Have you ever found that sometimes you encounter challenges when you choose to follow Jesus? Maybe you're here today, and when you made a radical decision some time ago to follow Jesus, you started telling your friends, you started telling your family members, you started telling the people that you hung out with that something different has happened. Something has changed in my life. Things are going to be changing. You're not going to recognize me going forward, and pretty soon that started to create some problems with those relationships. Because sometimes following Jesus will present us with a certain set of problems. What's interesting about this is that the multitude has been following Jesus because of his miracles, but the text gives us no indication that they were coming to Jesus to get food. Think about it for a moment. Nothing in the text tells us that these people were expecting Jesus to feed them. Not only that, but Jesus and his disciples were no, under no obligation to feed these people who were following them. And I'll take it a step further and say this. I don't know of any man who would say, I'm leaving home today, honey, I'll be back later tonight, I'm gonna be walking on foot all day, miles down the road, Jesus is gonna be preaching, I don't care where he goes, I'm gonna follow him there. I don't know any dude that wouldn't think, okay, but where am I gonna eat lunch? (laughs) And to think that there weren't more wives who had plenty of snacks in their purses, I have a hard time buying that, but somehow this is the stage that was set. And so these people have no food, they have nowhere to buy food, and Jesus presents a problem to the disciples, So when Jesus presents this problem to Philip, Philip now feels responsible for a problem that he did not create. I think some of us can relate to this. God, I didn't think that my friends were going to walk out on me when I told them I was going to follow you. I didn't know that I was going to have to take steps of faith after I told you that I was going to follow you. I didn't know I was going to encounter this challenge or that challenge after I chose to follow you. But see, Philip doesn't know it yet, but this is all. A test, because look again at verse 6. But this Jesus said to test Philip. Why? For he himself knew what he would do. Now let me say it again. When following Jesus presents a problem, he will surely produce a solution. One of my favorite church stories that I've ever heard in my life involves Pastor Chuck Smith, who pastored Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, for many years. And if you're familiar with Pastor Chuck, he was one of the most influential voices in the Jesus movement that was birthed out of the 60s. But when Pastor Chuck took that church, Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, he took that church and it was actually the third or fourth church that he had pastored. And he took the job knowing, God, this is what you have for my life. I trust that you're taking me down the path you have for me. And he kind of thought this will be business as usual. I'm trained for this. I'm prepared for this. I'm ready for this. But he began to encounter people that were different than the people he was accustomed to being around. And in his daily life, God started bringing people across his path that were a whole lot different than him. Namely, the hippies of the 1960s. And he lived down in a beach community in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area. And he said, day after day, I would begin to encounter these hippies who were so much different than me. And I was like, God, why am I encountering these people? And this is at the height of the cultural revolution of the 60s. Say, God, why am I encountering these people? Because I don't really understand them. They don't really understand me. But they kept crossing paths. And he would reach out and he would just extend a branch of kindness. And he would sometimes try to present the gospel. And then he would even invite them to his church. And they started coming to his church. But then something crazy happened. Because those people, those hippies, started inviting their hippie friends to church. And their attendance numbers just started going up and up and up. And as a pastor, he was like, wow, look what's happening. All these people are coming to hear the gospel message in our church. People who are different than me, they're coming to hear the message. There was just one problem. The traditional people in his church did not like these people. Because they came in with dirty clothes and unkept hair. And even worse, in their view, they came wearing no shoes to church. They walked in with their dirty feet. And Pastor Chuck is actually, he's no longer living, he's in heaven now, but he's actually told this story of how he would have to stand before the traditional members of the church who had been there a long time, the people who would wear their suits and ties to church every Sunday and see these hippies walking in the doors of their church and they would say, Pastor Chuck, don't you see what's happening? Yeah, we've got these people coming to church. Isn't this great? Isn't this awesome? What an amazing opportunity. No, it's terrible. They're coming in here and they don't brush their hair. They don't smell good. They have dirty clothes and dirty feet. And you know what they're doing? They're messing up our carpet. And Pastor Chuck would literally tell the story of how the carpet became a huge issue. And the carpet was like this dividing issue. And he said, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell the traditional people in my church that you're just going to have to deal with it and give them some grace. Or if I'm going to have to tell the hippies that they need to start showering and wearing shoes. I don't know what to do. God, I didn't ask for this problem. I didn't create this problem. I just wanted you to use me, and suddenly I'm dealing with the problem that I never asked for. But remember, a test, when these challenges, these problems come our way, it's always a test of how we will steward the situation. Why? Because Jesus already has the solution. So the question is, where do I look when I encounter the problem? This is what I love about this. Now, I haven't heard Pastor Chuck tell this story in an interview, but the legend has it that what Pastor Chuck did was instead of trying to appease one group or another about the carpet, he just took the carpet out (laughs) and said, if we don't have carpet, we no longer have a problem. We're going to present the gospel message to anyone and everyone who will walk through these doors. That man went on to be one of the most influential pastors in American history. And the Jesus movement that was birthed out of that church and out of that man's encounters literally didn't just touch a community. They rocked the world, the whole entire world because of one man, of one man. There are people in this room that your life was changed because of that man and that church. See, when following Jesus presents a problem, Jesus will surely produce a solution. But when that test comes our way, we have to steward the situation well, lean into wisdom, And ask for God's guidance as we navigate those challenges. Everybody with me this morning? Now, again, it's a test. So let's see if Philip and the disciples pass the test. Let's look at the second lesson. Look at at verse number seven. So Philip answered Jesus and said, watch these words, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone would even have a little bit. Here's the second lesson that we pull from this passage. Number two. My limitations are God's invitations. My limitations are God's invitations. Now, I want to talk about the amount of money that Philip talks about right here. He says 200 denarii, even if we were to spend 200 denarii, it would not give us enough money to even give all these people just a little bit of food. Bible scholars are are pretty consistent on this, that one denarii was equal to one day's pay or one day's wage, scripturally speaking. So where did that number come from? Perhaps that's how much Jesus and his disciples had with them in their ministry fund. Now, that's not what the Bible says. This is Zach talking for a minute, okay? But just, let's just use our imagination for just a moment here, okay? Let's just assume for a moment that 200 denarii was how much they all had collectively. So imagine Philip and the other disciples. They take the little purse that has coins in it, and they dump it out, and they count it out, and they settle on Jesus We've got 200 denarii, and that's not enough. We couldn't even give these people a little bit of food to even come close to satisfying the need. And Philip's response indicates that their problem is so much greater than their provision. You see, sometimes we feel overwhelmed by what we don't have, so overwhelmed that we become hesitant to use what we do have in our hand. And Philip's response to this problem leads us to believe that because the problem was so big and the provision was so small, he wouldn't be willing to give what they did have because he was overwhelmed by what they did not have. So Philip says... Jesus, even if we had this much, it's not going to come close to putting a dent in the problem. So what's the point in even spending this money or wasting this money when it's not going to solve our problem? That's the attitude that we see from Philip in his response. Why? Because Jesus was putting him to the test. But let's contrast it with what happens next. Watch this. Verse 8. Now, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they, listen to the response, but what are they among so many people? Andrew speaks up and he recognizes there's two fish and there's five loaves, but just like Philip, he says, come on Jesus, let's be honest, that's not enough to solve the problem. Now, in talking about the two fish and the five loaves, let's just, let's use our imagination here for a minute, okay? I'm not going to add to scripture, but let's think this through a little bit. Scripture does not record the young boy saying anything at all. Scripture doesn't give us uh, any indication that the young boy walked up and offered his lunch, nothing like that. But what happens next indicates that the young boy was willing to give what little provision he did have. Now, before we go into this next verse, let me just point something out to you. In Matthew 18, Jesus talked about childlike faith. You know, as adults, we know what it's like to walk through seasons of difficulty. As adults, we know what it's like to walk through seasons of lack. And when we find ourselves walking through those seasons of difficulty, of lack, of previous bad experiences that we've had in life, as adults, what often happens is our perspective on life can get tainted so easily by the fears, by the worries, by the concerns of what we don't have. We can be so overwhelmed by what we don't have. But the picture that's painted here of this little boy who was apparently very willing to part with what he did have in his hand, that very little that he did have, tells us that he had childlike faith and he wasn't worried about what he would now be lacking. He was willing to turn it over to the master. What an amazing contrast this little boy, his attitude was in, compared, in comparison to that of Philip and Andrew. Now watch this, verse 11. So Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, I want to point these out to you real quick. When Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So right, right there we see the picture of Jesus multiplying the two fish the five loaves, and the 5,000 plus people are miraculously, supernaturally fed because of this miracle that Jesus performs. But let me show you a couple things from this passage real quick. I want to grab these before we move to the third lesson. Verse 11 tells us that Jesus took the loaves. As believers, we all have to get the understanding, we all have to have this clarity in our hearts and in our minds that Jesus can do more with what I have than I can. But I have to choose first to put what I have in the master's hands. Let me put it another way. Jesus can't multiply that which you are unwilling to give him. Jesus won't multiply that which you are unwilling to give him. In the beginning, when God creates Adam and Eve, he doesn't just form them out of nothing, he forms them out of the dust of the earth. You see, later on, when Moses is called of God to go and be a deliverer to the Egyptians, Moses says, I'm not good enough, I can't speak well enough, I'm not adequate enough in my own strength. And God says, well, I'm going to bring your brother alongside, he'll be your mouthpiece. And Moses says, yeah, but me in my own strength, I can't do this. God looks at Moses and he says, What you got there in your hand? And Moses says, Well, this is, this is just a simple shepherd's staff. God says, Throw it down. And it turns to a serpent. And immediately, supernaturally, God shows Moses that if he will simply lay down and give back to the master that which he has in his hand, God can do something with it that Moses could never do on his own. I'll say it one more time God can't multiply that which we are unwilling to give to him. And this message this morning isn't about giving. We've already moved past that point in the service, don't worry. But anytime we talk about giving and putting things back in the master's hand, I'll tell you what, it's really hard for me to expect God to bless my life if I'm unwilling to give him the first fruits of what I have. I don't say that to discourage anybody, I say that to encourage you with this. There is blessing that lies on the other side of putting my best back in God's hands. And today, if you're wanting God to bless your life, he might be just wanting you to be obedient. And that's all that it requires. We have to be willing to put what we have back in the master's hands. But watch this, verse 11 goes on and it says that Jesus took the loaves and he took the fish and he gave thanks. As a Christian, I need to learn to show gratitude for what I do have and show faith for what I do not yet have. Gratitude for what I have and faith for what I don't yet have. Now, think about this. Imagine you're there that day among the multitude. And Jesus takes the bread, and he takes the fish, and he hasn't yet multiplied it. And he holds it up in front of the multitude, and everybody's standing there, and they look around, and they're like, wow, there's a lot of us. And oh my gosh, he only has two fish and five loaves. Jesus holds it up, and he says, thank you, Lord, for this provision that you have given us. And everybody's like, Jesus, what are you thanking the Father for? I don't think you're going to be able to do very much with just two fish and five loaves. See, Jesus in this passage is modeling for us that we have to first be willing to thank God for what we don't have before we receive it. And I want to ask you, can you be grateful for what you do have and grow in faith for what you don't yet have? Jesus models this so perfectly. I imagine the multitude thinking, Jesus, this is kind of crazy, thanking God. All you got is two fish and five loaves. Can I tell you something? If you're walking around confessing, and proclaiming God's goodness over your life, even if you haven't yet received the blessing you're believing for, don't be, don't be discouraged when people look at you funny. You keep confessing God's blessing over your life. You keep confessing his goodness over your life. You keep proclaiming God's blessing. You might not have it yet, but if you'll thank him for what you do have and grow in your faith for what's coming, God will bless your life. He will multiply that which you put back into his hands. Amen? And it's in that passage right there that we see Jesus perform this amazing miracle where he multiplies the bread and the fish and everybody eats until they're full. Let's move to the third thing here. Verse 12 says that, so when they were filled, when they had all eaten until they were full, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten? So in other words, there are, there's all this bread left over, enough to make 12 baskets full of bread. Now, I'm not big on biblical numerology because sometimes you've got to force numbers to fit into your equation. But again, just using my imagination for a moment, who is it that Jesus is dealing with here in this miracle? He's dealing with the disciples. They have questions, they have concerns, doubts about how Jesus is going to do this. Jesus presents them with a problem. Jesus multiplies the little bit that the little boy is willing to give and when he's done, everybody eats until they're full and how many baskets are left over? 12. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but that's one per disciple. And I wonder, I'm not saying the disciples each took one home, but what I am saying is I wonder if every single disciple that sat there doubting how Jesus was going to do this thought to themselves, oh my gosh, he left enough leftovers for each of us. Now, I think about the little boy right here because the little boy was willing to do something that apparently Philip and Andrew weren't. He gave the little bit that he had believing that Jesus could do something with it. In my imagination, the picture that I see when Jesus was done is there's these 12 baskets sitting there. Jesus walks over and he picks up that first basket and he said, hey, where'd that little boy go? Where'd he go? And he walks over and he puts it in his hands and he says, you gave me the little bit that you had. Take all this back to your parents and tell them about what you were a part of today. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. That's me, okay? That's Zach 632 or whatever. (laughs) But I imagine that in that moment, Jesus looked at the leftovers and said, I want you guys to understand that I'm not just the God of enough, I'm the God of abundance. And if you'll give me a little bit, oh my gosh, I can multiply it and do something amazing with it. The third lesson is simply this. My remainders are God's reminders. My remainders are God's reminders. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, there were Old Testament saints that had amazing things happen in their lives where God would speak to them, God would give them victory. They would have encounters, dreams, visions from God. And in that place, what they would do is they would build an altar this big pile of stones where they would offer up a sacrifice. And when the whole thing was over with, there was still the big pile of stones and the remainder of the sacrifice that was. And often what you see is Old Testament saints, they would name that place something specific because that was the place where they encountered God. We sang about the God of Jacob earlier. Jacob said, this is Bethel, this is the house of God. Surely the presence of God was here, and I didn't even know it. And every time they would cross that path to the place they had been before, it would serve as a reminder of what God had done for them in the past. I wanna encourage you right now just to think back about some things that God has done for you in your life. If you find yourself at a place or a season of life where you're worried about the future, where you're worried about having enough, where you're worried if God's gonna come through or not, is it possible that You have the remainders of God's previous miracles surrounding you and those remainders should serve as reminders of the things that he still wants to do in your life today and tomorrow. Yesterday I was cleaning out our garage in the morning and these last few weeks have been so emotional for us. And I'm sorry, I don't wanna make this morning at all about us, but cleaning out the garage and I'm just looking around and I was getting mad cleaning out the garage because I'll tell you what, my kids know how to destroy a garage And bikes. Bikes everywhere. Every time I turn around, there's a bike that's out of place. I put it in its place, they come outside, they put it somewhere else, they leave it there, it's in the street, it's in the driveway, it's in the way, it's here, there, and everywhere. And I'm turning around and consistently getting upset about the bikes that are everywhere. Then our youngest walker, she walks out and she does something cute. And I just laugh at her and I smile. And I turn around and I see those bikes and I'm like, I remember when we were worried about being able to buy them for them. And now there's like three or four or six of them that are always in the way. And even though they might feel like a nuisance at times, I turn around and I recognize It's just a bike, right? But each one of those bikes is full of memories of the time that they learned to ride them and when they rode on the training wheels and the day that we took those training wheels off and it reminded me that through every season of life, God has always been faithful and if there's anything inside of me right now that worries about whether or not I'm gonna have enough in the future, the remainders of God's faithfulness is all around me and they need to serve as a reminder that God will continue to provide. Today, if you're worried about the future, if you're worried about having enough, set lack aside for a moment. Maybe you're sick in body. Maybe there's something going on inside of you. Maybe today what you need to do is look for the remainders of the last great thing that God did in your life and let it serve as a reminder that he still wants to do great things today. Be encouraged, look for that reminder. It's all around you, the evidence is all around. You just gotta go looking for it. Don't let it be clutter that's meaningless. Let it serve as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Last thing from me. In verse two, one of the cool things that we see is that the multitude followed Jesus. Why? Because they saw the signs that he performed on those who were diseased. What does a sign do? A sign points, it gives direction. It shows you where to go. All of these things were signs, not just that Jesus can put food in your belly, but that he can save your soul. You get to the end of the passage and it says, Those who saw what Jesus did, many of them believed and said, Surely this is the prophet who's been sent into the world. Maybe you're here today and you need God's provision in your life. I believe that God wants to provide for you, but can I tell you something else? More than the provision, God wants you to have a relationship with the provider. Maybe you're here today and you're sick in body or there's some sort of sickness that's plaguing your life. I believe that God wants to bring healing to your life, but more importantly, I believe he wants to introduce you to a relationship with the healer. Maybe you're here today and you feel distant from God because of your failure, your sin. Maybe you feel like God would not want to accept you and you are in need of a savior. Can I tell you, God wants to save you, but he wants you to have a relationship every day of your life with the savior. Let this message today of what God can do, what he wants to do, serve as a sign that he wants to be the Lord of your life every day of your life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your provision, for your love, your grace, your mercy. You see what every single person in the house needs today from you. There are some here today crying out. There are some that are watching from a distance saying that looks good from here for them, but don't yet realize that you have things in store for their lives as well. I pray that you would meet every single person where they are today, encourage them, provide for them, heal them. But even more than that, be the Lord of their life. Walk closely with them all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Finally, with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you're the one who feels distant from God. Maybe you're the one who feels like God would never welcome you in and you've done nothing to deserve his acceptance. Let me tell you how much God loves you. God loves you so much that he saw you in the midst of your failure, in the midst of your sin. He saw you and me in our very worst state. And he sent his son, Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, his very best to this earth in exchange for our very worst. And Jesus went to the cross. He died a death that we deserve for our sins so that we could come back into relationship with God. All he asks of us is just to put our faith in what Jesus did, and we would be saved. We're going to pray a prayer right now, and I want to invite every single person in the house who might be distant from God to take a step toward him because he sure wants to take a step into your life today. Maybe you've never received Jesus into your life. Let me tell you, my friend, he died for the opportunity to know you. So we're gonna pray a prayer right now and I wanna ask if everybody would repeat this prayer after me, mean it with everything inside and step into a relationship with God. Repeat after me and say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that you are the son of God and I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. So today I choose you. I want to follow you and walk with you all the days of my life into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now very last thing for me. We're gonna be done in just a couple of minutes, but this is super important to people that made decisions. So let's honor those around us this morning. If you made a decision, to follow Christ, we want to help you start your journey of faith. We want to put a simple gift in your hand. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a small book that will help you start your journey of faith There's two different ways that you can get it. As soon as service is over, in just a couple of minutes, we'll have some prayer teams down here. Walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ. You want to get the book. They'll get it from you. We don't need anything from you, but we're happy to help or pray with you if you need prayer. If you're here today and you just need someone to pray with you, come see one of our prayer teams. That's why they are here. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's outside between the glass doors. Our team will be there to help you. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ and you want to get the book, and we will get you started in your journey of faith. We're glad that you made that decision today, and we want to welcome you into the family of God. Can we put our hands together and welcome some
1: people in today? And would you give Zach a good hand for that message this morning? Wow, that's great. Just before we go today, I want to share just a couple of things, a couple of reminders. First, I told first service, so I guess I need to do it both services. When God created mankind, Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave him a commandment. He said, I'm giving you dominion over the earth, so you need to procreate, you need to have children, and you need to fill the earth. Aren't you glad you have a pastor on staff who decided to take that on as a personal project? (laughs) But I think we all have a part in that. Hey, we're excited about having another grandbaby in the family. That's that's great news, but uh, I, I just want to say today, if, if, if you heard this message today, if it hit heart, it hit your heart. If it hit hard at home, you need to take it to heart because God is encouraging some people today to trust His faithfulness. He started something; He's going to finish what He started. So trust the Lord. Now, before we go today, three things real fast. Next Saturday morning. Bridge Men eight thirty. It's the last one. We're going to be breaking for summer. Pick it up in the fall. We got some special things to share Saturday morning. Be sure and join us. All the guys eight thirty Saturday morning here at the church. Second thing, uh, on the thirty is it, what's the last Sunday of the month? The day 29. 29. 29th of this month, Memorial Day weekend, we're going to be having food trucks here after our Sunday morning services, give you a chance to hang out and visit with friends and meet some new friends, so just be aware of that, make uh, plans accordingly. And then the last thing, Bridge Kids Summer Day Camp is coming up starting June 27th, 27th through the 30th. These are always great times, the kids have so much fun, but we also get to pour a lot into them about Jesus. Be sure and get your kids registered in advance. We want to make sure we know how many kids are coming. You can go online. You can go in the church app. You can do that there. Because we want to make this a great, great time for your kids and for the Bridge Church. Have you enjoyed being in church today? So great to see you. Stand to your feet. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday.